Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fresh from the Hill, Inside Stories of Noteworthy Cornelians. I'm your host this week, Alexander Zalvin, class of 99. If you'd like to find out more about the show and the organization, go to alumni.cornell.edu slash youngalumni. Also, you can check out the Facebook page, Cornell Young Alumni Programs for upcoming events, news, volunteer opportunities, and more. Our guest this week is Megan Dubiak. She is class of 04, currently working as Georgetown University's chief spokesperson and associate vice president for communications and creative services. We won't hold it against her that she went to another university. That's all good with us. Uh, We're going to be chatting with her about all of that, as well as her career path that led her there. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Alec. Yeah. Uh, So this is something I'm starting off asking most folks, and I'm always very curious about what was your first memory, your first experience with Cornell? Gosh, I um, really remember going up as a student. I have a a notably horribly bad sense of direction. And at Cornell, (laughs) I sort of seemed to know my way around, which my parents were shocked at at the tour. And I thought this place might be it for me. When you, once you started to go there, it seems like you had a pretty clear path into government and administration. Uh, what, what led you on that path? I could never decide whether I wanted to study journalism or study government. And so I kind of split the difference in my career by working in political communications. And Cornell made it very clear that I, that government was the right path for me. I was glad I went down that route as opposed to journalism. Um, I was looking to study sort of practical application of government, and the city and regional planning department was a perfect home for me as a student. What would you say the biggest lesson or lessons that you took away from your time at Cornell was? So much of of my Cornell experience was really outside of the classroom. There was Mm -hmm. obviously great instruction and great academics, but so much of my experience was outside of the classroom, and it really provided a lot of breeding ground to try new things out, to start organizations and just grow as leader. And I really grew as much out of the classroom as I did inside. Mm-hmm. So you worked uh, as a legislative assistant in the Office of Government and Community Relations, right? What, what was that like? I did. Yeah, it was great fun. I mean, I it was a work study job and I was able to work in Cornell's essentially lobbying office that represents Cornell on Capitol Hill and in Albany. And I read all the, the Hill rags each day and clipped. This was back, you know, when we actually read newspapers that were <laughs> printed out and clipped articles of, of interest for Cornell and Cornell's team. Uh, it was so- fun. And we got to go up to D.C. Um, and there was a student lobby day where we stayed in the dorms in the Cornell and Washington Center and then went to the Hill and advocated for Cornell's priorities. Mm. Uh, I'm very much an outsider on government stuff, but I think generally folks like myself, when we think about lobbying, we think about very big businesses doing that. That's how we hear about it when we read about it in newspapers, you know, cigarettes or alcohol or this or that. But clearly that's not what it's recused to. You were doing lobbying on behalf of Cornell University. What was involved in that? What was important? What were you looking to get out of the government? Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that so much of lobbying Congress is really sharing your story. And my first job out of college, I was working as a scheduler for a congressman from Long Island. And the way we made decisions about whether or not a group was going to get a meeting or not was whether or not there was a constituent in that group. And if there was a constituent in that group, there was a good chance that we would do everything we could to make sure they got a meeting with the congressman. And the same was true when students lobbied Capitol Hill. Uh, the Cornell office would try to connect students with their hometown representative. And 
once you were meeting with your hometown representative, you would share your story. What uh, college affordability means to you, what higher ed programs like Pell Grants and work study mean for real people. So it's sharing stories and putting a real face to the, some of the public policy issues. You took a career path that's a non-elected career path, but it seems to almost have followed an elected path in a certain way. You went from <laughs> a representative to a senator to the White House. Uh, when you aren't doing that through an electoral process, how does that work? I mean, is, again, I feel like a total idiot asking this, but is it a job application process like everything else or is there something else involved? Yeah, it's a job application process. I mean, I think they, they say the first job on the Hill is the hardest one to get. And, and it really is true. It's breaking through and getting your name pulled from the stack of 500 resumes that they get in you know a week for a staff assistant job, which is very entry level. And it really is you know using a network to talk to people to learn how they got to the Hill, and then they refer you to other people. And the way I got my first job on Capitol Hill was talking to everybody I could think of who I knew, who their friends knew, um, met with many, many Cornellians. And from there, I was uh, referred to a job in another New York representative's office. And I didn't, and I interviewed for the job. I didn't end up getting it. But they, um, another the congressman I worked for, Steve Israel, reached out to this office and said, was there anyone that you wanted to hire that you didn't? And my name got passed along. And that's how I got my first job on Capitol Hill. Did you have a specific goal in mind? I mean, clearly you worked pretty high up the chain uh, by the end of the day, but were you were you aiming for the White House or were you just kind of seeing where it went? No, I thought I'd work on Capitol Hill for a year or two and then go to law school. And <sighs> it's been almost 15 years since Cornell and I have not gone to law school or um, thought of it really. I think it's working out okay, though. I think you're doing all right. Uh, no complaints. <laughs> so from Steve Israel, you ended up working on Senator Sherrod Brown's team. What is different working in communications for the Senate versus the House? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, I was not only moving to the Senate, but moving to my home state, Senator. Mm -hmm. I'm a native Ohioan, so it was fun to be working back from my home state. But there really is so much difference between the House and the Senate. I think in the House, staffers tend to be younger. You're definitely scrappier. And I, I loved working on the House. They say sort of, you start on the House, you're always a House person. But I spent more of my career on Congress and, and the Senate side. And the, the difference sort of an influence that a senator has is, is, is really notable. And then you're also working within multiple media markets. Back when I worked for the congressman from New York, we were sort of working to attract uh, the New York City media market out to Long Island. So all New Yorkers know that not many news crews want to drive 45 minutes out to cover a press conference in Long Island. Um, in, the, in Ohio, you know, I was working in a state with 12 media markets, and you're trying to get the story out to a much more dispersed area. Uh, just to take a very broad step backwards, what does a communications director do? What is involved in the job? Yeah. So the communications director sets the is, is first of all, the spokesperson for the elected official, but then oversees everything from press releases, talking points, statements, uh, blogs, website. You really sort of runs the whole gamut of communications for an elected official. And... I'm sure it varies by job, it varies by boss, but how much leeway do you have in terms of steering the direction of the communications when it comes to a job like that? Are you essentially the mouthpiece and figuring out how to craft the message? Are you working on the message itself? Uh, how much input is there? 
I think there's, I think a good congressional office realizes that to be effective, you need to integrate communications early. So it's not an after-the-fact thought. It's something that's integrated throughout the whole policymaking process. So um, I, I rarely felt like I was sort of just a mouthpiece or also just sort of crafting messages that were going to be repeated by an elected official. I think all the elected officials I worked for, thankfully, have been very, very involved in in their you know their own priorities and um, what was important to them. And it's really just highlighting their priorities and what's important to them and making sure they're showcased in ways that are visible and connect with constituents. You worked with Sherrod Brown on two very different aspects of his career, both when he was in office and is in office, but also during an electoral period. What is different about the communications job in those two different periods, or is it pretty much the same thing? No, I mean, they are totally different ball games. <laughs> every, every, you know, Every six years, um, senators get reelected, and for the two years leading up to the reelection, you're essentially what's known as in cycle. You're in the election cycle, and it was a really tough um, and stressful time period, but one that you really learn a lot. And when you're working for a person that you really believe in, it makes it much easier. But the those two years, every vote that the senator takes, everything he mutters on a TV show or on the Senate floor or in the hallway is picked up on and dissected by, um, you know, political opponents and, you know, attempted to use to be used against the elected officials. So it's a really tough time. It's a time that you really need to hunker down and get the message out about the great work that the senator was doing for the state of Ohio. When people think about communications and government, I think they probably think about TV shows like Scandal or The West Wing or anything like that, fast-talking people running down hallways, shouting at the top of their lungs. How much of that is accurate versus it really just being a day-to-day job? I, I, I wouldn't say Scandal is um, particularly accurate. Um, <laughs> it's definitely more interesting than the day-to-day, but I think that the day-to-day is sort of a mix. I mean, there is, it is a fast-paced, frenetic environment, but it's also one where you, know, you really can see ideas that start small turn into policy that reaches all American people. So it was, it's a combination of, you know, short, very reactive, but long-term planning that can really change the, the difference. Now, you then moved from Sherrod Brown's team to being press secretary for Joe Biden. How, how did you find out about that job? How did that open up? They were, reaching, you know, the Senate, uh, Vice President Biden was in the Senate for many years and respects uh, Senate experience. And in many ways, he created a, a vice presidential office that felt very similar to a Senate office. So when they were reaching out to find candidates for their next press secretary, I think they looked towards the Senate, as many do, and was lucky enough to be considered and got the job. What are the differences? Uh, I feel like I'm asking some very basic questions, but I really am so fascinated by this because, again, a lot of what we learn about government is either through the constant stream of names from news stations or from watching TV. So what is the actual delineation between a press secretary and a communications director? In the Senate, um, it's usually sort of, and the White House for that matter, it's part of a bigger team. So the communications director um, in both the Senate office and in the White House, um, in the vice president's office, set sort of the overall messaging strategy and managed the office and was sort of the team lead. And the press secretary is the person who is often um, in the trenches day to day on the phone with reporters. Um, in Vice President Biden's office, it was a really collaborative environment. Um, but the press secretary is, is often the person who is, is working with journalists and is 
providing comments and on the record responses and the communications director often oversees messaging and strategy. Gotcha. Now, in your work with Sherrod Brown, had you encountered Vice President Biden or President Obama before that? I did. With with Senator Brown, I met them both on the campaign trail in Ohio in 2008. As you can imagine, they spent a good amount of time in Ohio and mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to meet them both during the 2008 campaign before either of them were president and vice president. Still, it must have been very different walking into that vice president office for the on the first day. What was that experience like for you? Oh, absolutely. It was, you know, as much as you you see it up up close from the Senate, walking into the White House as a, as a staffer is a really unique moment and, and really jaw-dropping and to, to be at the White House in those situations. Um, but it was a great experience. It was, it was wonderful. It was the final, you know, two years of the administration. So it was a time that we were really looking to uh, share the the vice president's legacy and the Obama administration's legacy and the work that's been done, and then also start really important new work and not waste any of the time of the the term. Did it ever get old walking into the White House? Was there ever a day where you're like, oh, I got to go to work again? I guess not one. No, <laughs> it, it it doesn't get old. Yeah. And if it gets old, they say that's when it's time to leave. <laughs> now, you worked on a bunch of very big campaigns. As you mentioned, Vice President Biden did some huge programs in his last couple of years. Um, let's talk about the cancer moonshot first. What was your involvement sure. in that? And what was it like when he first floated that idea? Yeah, I mean, the Vice President initially mentioned it when he announced that he wasn't going to be running for president. And he said his biggest regret was that he wouldn't be the president that ended cancer as we know it. And so he decided that he was going to make all the difference he could in the the final year of the administration. And that meant launching a cancer moonshot that brought together multiple federal agencies who um, have a stake in curing cancer and ending cancer as we know. And that's anything from obvious choices like the Department of Health and Human Services and the National Institute of Health and the National Cancer Institute to, to less obvious. The, you know, the Pentagon and the Department of Defense have a breast cancer research program within that's funded by DOD. So it was sort of marshalling all of those forces towards a common goal of ending cancer as we know it and, and reducing fatality and turning cancer into a preventable, treatable disease. I imagine a lot of that was talking to lobbyists from various medical corporations and explaining to them how this would work, how this would affect them, what would push things forward. Do you feel like your lobbying experience helped you approach that at all? I think my my time on the Hill and working, you know, watching Vice President Biden handle it, and he he sort of mentioned it as sort of the politics of the cancer community, and that there's lots of different competing priorities and interests and how he saw his role and the approach he took to it was bringing everyone together towards a common goal and getting multiple parties who were often working not against it at each other, but were working on the, on the same issue, but from different lenses to communicate and share data and share information to really move the ball forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other big campaign was It's On Us. Can you talk about the genesis of that a little bit and uh, what your involvement was like? Sure. Yeah. Vice President Biden actually was responsible for writing the Violence Against Women Act while he was in the Senate. And it's one of the issues that's most important to him is preventing violence against women. And I think he, throughout his time in the White House, realized what was happening happening on college campuses in particular, but also, you know, sexual assault um, among young people and wanting to 
get the entire community involved. So the It's On Us campaign was really working often in college campuses, but young people in general, and getting everyone involved in the the conversation, including men, and making sure that everyone realized that it's on all of us to prevent sexual assault and and prevent and, you know, act up if you say something, if you see something, and um, prevent sort of bystanderism where people aren't acting. And that definitely seems like that in particular is a conversation that has continued to grow and change and a program that even beyond his time as vice president has continued to pay dividends. That's right. It's on us is still um, functioning. It's still on college campuses that, you know, now, now that I work on a college campus, I see how powerful it was and how important it still is to um, changing the conversation here on, on the campus. Uh, now you, probably have to know this having worked in the office and specifically working as the press secretary, but he is easily the most memeable vice president in history. (laughs) Is that something that you had to deal with a lot? Just seeing people constantly tweeting these pictures of vice president Biden of making memes about him, or was it just a funny side conversation that was going on? It was more of a funny, funny side conversation. We had some fun with it at times on, on, you know, the vice president's social media channels. He would, he, he would often sort of get in on the joke and he definitely knows, can laugh with folks. Um, but he, you know, he also did really important work that we wanted to highlight at the same time. You didn't want to spend all your time on Twitter posting memes, really? That's surprising. No, I know. It's shocking, really. Uh, The other thing, just to stay on this for a bit, I was joking earlier with these folks that I was going to slowly turn this into a Parks and Recreation fan podcast. (laughs) Uh, Was that another thing that you guys talked about, the Leslie Dope obsession with Joe Biden? It was. And, you know, they've they've filmed um, some scenes in, in the old executive office building, the Eisenhower executive office building with Vice President Biden and at the Naval Observatory where he, where it's his home. So um, there, there was definitely lots of love going both ways on the Parks and Rec side. <laughs> uh, now, on a more serious topic, and I got to ask you, what was it like when you started to transition out of the job and particularly the Obama tra- administration transitioned into the Trump administration? It was it was very hard. It was my first time since Cornell not working directly in the middle of politics and to see um, so much of the, you know, the Obama Biden administration had eight years with, you know, without a scandal, with such high regard for the office and took the office so seriously and and really took their their vows to the American people so seriously. So watching it being not only removed from from politics writ large, but also with the sort of legacy of the Obama-Biden administration um, at top of mind, it was tough to to walk away and see everything that's been happening. There, there were obviously a lot of pictures passed around at staffers, but one thing that was clear from the outside, at least to uh, myself and a lot of the American people, is how even... Obama and Biden stayed through the whole process, told people to stay strong, keep the country going. Was that was that the impression that they gave you on the staff as well? Yeah, that was very, very clear. It was it was loud and clear throughout. And, you know, Vice President Biden said all along he wants to be a resource. He wants to still be part of the conversation. He wants to be helpful to the next administration. He wants, you know, they both want America to succeed and um, by, you know, being as helpful as possible, even when they don't necessarily agree with the current administration. Now, there was, uh, he did come out and say that he didn't want to run for president initially. And now it seems like that may or may not change going into 2020. If he did run again, would you want to be involved in that campaign? 
Uh, I, I, it's hard to say at this point. I'm very, very happy working at Georgetown University, and the thought of a political campaign is, uh, is a tough thing to, to consider, but also tough to pass up. But um, I am confident that we'll have um, good teams out um, in the Democratic Party. Cool. Uh, well, let's talk about the Georgetown thing a little bit, because it must have yeah. been a big transition moving from a government into working at a university again. Uh, what led to the Georgetown job? I was um, at the end of the administration, obviously knew um, would be looking for the next opportunity. And I wanted to stay in D.C. and work for an organization that had a mission that I believed in and was in D.C. and had sort of a, a global presence. And Georgetown was really the natural fit. Um, it allowed me to continue working in a you know high, fast-paced communications environment and for an organization that I believe in. Um, what specifically is involved in the job there at Georgetown? So in many ways, it was similar to the work that I've, I've done throughout my entire career. I um, am the, the chief spokesman for the, for the university, or spokeswoman, um, and oversee sort of the communications. This, my office does the editorial work, so all the, the news stories about Georgetown faculty members and students and staff. Um, we also um, handle internal communications. We handle um, video production and graphic design and um, sort of traditional media relations as well. It's probably also a very different focus working for a broad organization and having to speak for many people at the same time versus the focus of, say, working for Vice President Biden or Senator Brown. That's right. Yeah, it's a large, large, complex organization. Um, I've learned a lot about higher ed in the year and a half I've been here and it is definitely a complex organization that you have to be thoughtful of, of how large it is and how, in many ways, you know, decentralized higher ed is. There's so many colleges here, similar to Cornell, and lots of considerations with any communication. What would you say the biggest challenges are for an organization, a, a university like Georgetown, going forward over the next couple of years? Um, what I've been surprised about the most is the importance of internal communications on a college campus, how important it is. I mean, college campuses are, in many ways, many cities within cities, and, um, you know, Earlier, you know, two days ago, we had a power outage that was affecting many buildings, and it's getting the word out. And it's it's everything from sort of the the everyday to really big ideas um, that changing the way higher ed delivers education, um, global reach and impact. So it's really balancing the need to communicate on the the day to day and every day, and leave time to talk about big ideas. And real quick, which is better, Georgetown or Cornell? Uh, I'm kidding. You don't have to <laughs> it's putting me in a tough spot with my current <laughs> employer, but uh, I'm, I'm on another hilltop right now. And instead of overlooking uh, Cayuga Lake, I'm overlooking the Potomac. For anybody who specifically would like to get into government work, either young alumni who are currently out there right now or people who are currently at Cornell, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I think so much of it is is being up close, up close and personal, and making sure it's the right fit for you. Um, I tell everybody that it definitely makes sense to intern and get a taste of it while you're a student or volunteer on a political campaign. Um, and from there, it's really expanding your network and and talking to people and interviewing people who have done different things and figuring out the path that makes the most sense for you. But I think volunteering and interning are great ways to get exposed to it, and then also taking opportunities just to um, influence Congress. I mean, you can write your representative any day. You can go visit Capitol Hill and um, lobby for many organizations that you might care about. And before you left, did you take any souvenirs from the White House? 
Oh, gosh, I definitely took some M&Ms. There's sort of <laughs> legendary White House M&Ms and boxes, and there's always M&Ms everywhere. Um, but lots of lots of fun souvenirs, but nothing I couldn't take, I'm pretty sure. All right. So you didn't steal the Constitution or anything like that. Good no, to know. No, none of that. Megan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It really was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening to Fresh from the Hill, Inside Stories of Noteworthy Cornellians. If you want to find out more, again, you can go to the website alumni.cornell.edu slash youngalumni, or check out the Facebook page, Cornell Young Alumni Programs, for upcoming events, news, volunteer opportunities, and more. We'll see you next time. Music from Fresh from the Hill was written, produced, and recorded by Kia Albertson Rogers, class of 2014. You can contact him at koa3 at cornell.edu.